Standing just for a, a bit longer, please do so. Either way, take your Bibles and turn to James chapter 1. This morning we want to read verses 12 through 15. It's on page 1011. If you would like to simply grab a Bible from the pew in front of you and read from that. Either way, James chapter 1, beginning at verse 12. Thank you guys for helping us to sing to the Lord this morning. We're grateful for the skills that the Lord has given to you to help us. This is God's word for us this morning. And here's what God says. Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial. For when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life which God has promised to those who love him. Let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it is conceived, gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is fully grown, gives forth, brings forth death. You may be seated. Father, thank you for your word, for there is no word like your word. And our prayer this morning is that you would help us now as we look more closely at what we've just read. May your spirit be with us. May your spirit be at work in our midst. May your spirit aid and help me, but may your spirit also be at work in our hearts as we hear and receive your word. Father, may, may we not simply hear a thing or two. May the power, the effective, performative power of your word work in us to transform us. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we're continuing a train of thought, even though I just picked up in verse 12. Uh, we are really continuing a train of thought that James presents to us that began in verse 2. The subject matter that we're still on is trials. James has added to and extended, uh, expanded, if you would, his consideration uh, concerning this matter of trials, but he has not switched conversations yet. He is still on the matter. He is still on the subject of trials. And I would just add, he will be until he gets through verse 18. Even last week, the first look at last week, even as Carl brought this passage to us last week, even the verses 9, 10, and 11 pertain to, it's just an, an expanded conversation about this matter of, of trials. He noted that the circumstances of both the lowly brother, which probably refers at least in part to something of, of a state of poverty, the lowly brother, as well as the rich, are examples of trials. In other words, both the experience of poverty and the experience of wealth in this context are classified as a circumstance of trial. They, 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 they test 
our faith. Uh, either poverty or riches uh, can be a trial that is designed by God to clarify uh, whether we truly trust in Jesus or not. Now, we might have been struck by Carl's words. I mean, we get how poverty can be an example of a trial. But really, riches can be an example of, of, of a trial? Lord, give me some of that trial. See, but that reflects a worldly wisdom, doesn't it? Uh, it, 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 it we, we, when we hear wealth as a, tr as a trial, <laughs> uh, we, we can easily... You know, heads up, I know which one I'm leaning toward in terms of if it's a multiple choice trial test or not. Um, we, it, it, and, and, and yet, poverty can test our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ as sure as wealth can test our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. See, we, James, in this context of talking about trials, has also talked about the need for us to have wisdom as we face trials. Wisdom, remember, is a way of, of seeing things. Uh, th there's a wise way to look at poverty. There's a wise way to look at wealth. There's a foolish way to look at poverty. There's a foolish way to look at, at wealth. Uh, wisdom is, is from above. It's a gift from God that he gives. He told us if he just asked for it. Uh, but but it, it's a way of seeing things so that we might live rightly in any and all circumstances. Listen to the wisdom of Psalm, I'm sorry, Proverbs 30, verses 8 and 9. The, the, the writer says, Give me neither poverty nor riches. Feed me with the food that is needful for me, lest I be full and say, Who is the Lord? You, you see that the, the struggle with wealth is uh, we could be so full of ourselves that, that um, we think that we're the all in end all. We really don't need this God stuff. I, I've got a large checking account. Um, on the other hand, uh, Proverbs write, uh, um, or lest I be poor and steal and profane the name of my God. Uh, the, the words I, that I, I be so poor that, I'm, that I, I think I'm going to go, go, go out and have to hurt somebody that I'm, uh, and, and, uh, and take something that's, that's not mine and, and therefore bring disgrace on the name of the Lord. So uh, either is a trial, do you see? Uh, uh, either circumstance tests us as to who or what we rely upon as well as who or what we live for. So with these things in view, James now here in verse 12 adds another component in expanding the conversation about trials. And, and what he adds to in these verses that I've just read He's, he, he adds to it from a positive angle, that's verse 12. But then he adds to it from a negative angle, that's verses 13, 14, and 15. What he says positively in, 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 in the trials that we face, whatever the circumstances are, whether the, 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 
the, uh, the seemingly polar opposite experiences of a, of a trial of poverty or a trial of, of abundance, um, it, it, either could, could test our dependence upon the Lord Jesus Christ. And, and so what he says in verse 12 positively is the need to stand and endure and persevere through the trial. He really means this as a word of encouragement, that whatever circumstance we find ourselves in, we will stay focused upon the Lord and rely upon Him and endure that circumstance, whether it's enduring poverty or, again, trying to get your head around this, enduring wealth. But then he comes back, and we won't get to this part this morning. Um, the longer I looked at verses 12, 13, 14, and 15, I originally thought we could do, 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 just do this in one sermon, but that ain't going to work out. So this morning, we'll look at just the positive part of it, the encouragement to stand firm uh, through our trials, to endure and to persevere and the encouragement that verse 12 gives us to do that. But then, Lord willing, next week we will pick up this passage again and look at the negative component of this passage, and that is the need to resist the temptation to fall in our trials. There's a warning here. The end of verse 12 talks about a crown of Life. You see how verse 15 ends? Uh, verse 15 ends with a warning of death. So there's a lot at stake here in terms of how we digest these trials, that we stand firm in these trials, that we not give in to temptation in these trials because the outcome is the difference between life and death. So first of all, the encouragement to stand through trials. Look at verse 12 again. Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial, for when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life. Do you see how we've come back full circle to the way he opened this conversation uh, in verses 2 and 3? We're, we're back to the very same phrases and terms and words here. Look, Look at verse 2 and 3 again from a couple of weeks ago. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. We're dealing with trials here in verse 12, which is what we began talking about in verses 2 and 3. We're dealing with testings, the testing of our faith. He introduced that in 2 and 3. Now he's back visiting that again in verse 12. We're, we're talking about the subject matter of steadfastness. He introduced that to us in verse 2 and 3. He's back on that conversation uh, in, in verse 12. And, and, and even in verse 2, he says, count it all joy, it's, it's really an overlapping term how he opens verse 12, blessed. Now, blessed certainly means more than maybe what our culture means by the term happy. Uh, and, and yet it wouldn't be a mismatch to, to talk about this word blessed to mean something of joy or, or, or happiness. Happy is the man. Blessed or joyful is the man 
who remains steadfast under, under trial. You see, James has introduced us to how we can walk in joy even in the midst of our trials, and now he's back visiting that again similarly with similar language and emphases by describing how we can be filled with joy, have, the, have experienced the end result of God's blessing on our life by remaining steadfast in our trials. Now, I said that we're going to talk verses 13, 14, and 15, Lord willing, next week, but I've got to dip into those just for a little bit before I go much further in, in verse 12. Um, because um, James is encouraging us um, to remain steadfast through trials. And yet the notion that he introduces in verses 13, 14, and 15 that, that helps to define what he means by being steadfast is verses 12, 13, and 14, verses 13, 14, and 15 become a warning to not let our trials turn into temptations. What's interesting is that the word for trial here in this passage, as James originally wrote it, is the same word for temptations here in this passage. And yet the context helps us to store it out that he's, he's nuancing some things here. Uh, uh, it, it, that, that if we're not careful, um, this thing that we call a trial, which is an outward circumstance, an outward situation, whether it be this circumstance of poverty or this circumstance of riches or abundance or wealth, whatever circumstance, that is the trial, the testing of our faith that God places in our path to test whether or not we are going to continue to rely upon the Lord Jesus Christ or not. And instead of allowing our trials to turn into temptations, we are to remain steadfast to, uh, through our trial. Don't let the occasion of a trial tempt us to sin. Now, let me clarify that. Trials don't cause us to sin. Trials are, in a, in a sense, assignments from God to test the genuineness of our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And, and yet, when we're, when we're in that moment of trial, an outward circumstance, uh, um, there, that we have to be alert to what's going on inside of us in the context of that outward circumstances. And, 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 and before we're done, what I hope to show us is that while trials don't cause us to sin, Trials are the context that can bring appeal to us to sin. Trials draw out of us what is already in us. What is already in us? An inclination, a proclivity, a desire to sin. No one had to teach us that. No, nothing outside of us had to put that in us. It's already there. It's always been there in, in, that, in that sense. 
So it is the desire within that is the real cause of our sin. Why would, why would someone like you and I ever sin? Well, our culture tells us, well, the reason you sin uh, is because of the plight of your circumstances. It's a simplistic answer, but their culture has really grabbed a hold of it, and that is, it's a very flat, straight answer. Poverty causes sin. And that undergirds a lot of social programming. In other words, the assumption is, is if, if we could just gift you enough money, uh, 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 we, could, we could just send you a check or provide you some stuff, um, then that would change the desires of your heart. You would no longer have the desire to sin or to do bad things or to do wrong. Uh, and I, I'm not impervious to the fact that our circumstances do influence us, but there's, I'm, we need to make a clear biblical distinction between that which might influence us, which I think is what he's saying about a trial. A trial can test us, can influence us, but that which is an influence is different from that which is a cause or a determinant. Poverty is not a determinant to sin. Honestly, I don't know if we realize that or not, but that's actually a very condescending, denigrating perspective of a human being who happens to lack resources. We're saying they're less than human uh, because they don't have a moral capacity to do right things because they ain't got enough money. Really, is that what makes someone human? Is that what gives someone dignity? Very simplistic answer that our culture has grabbed a hold of. Now, uh, poverty is a trial, but it's what we do in the midst of that trial that determines whether or not we remain steadfast or whether we, as we look at more closely next week, Lord willing, uh, allow that trial to become a full-orbed temptation leading to sin resulting in death. You see, if we, if we find ourselves in a state of poverty, which in America we're really talking about probably categories of relative poverty, not absolute poverty, but nevertheless, um, it, it, we can... But if we find ourselves in a state of poverty, if that's our trial, our circumstance, we can, stay, we can stand steadfast, which is what verse 12 is doing, thereby honor the Lord as we seek to pursue honorable means of work and thrift to raise ourselves out of poverty. Or, or if we find ourselves in a trial of poverty, we can allow the desire for stuff we can allow the desire for the greed, the love of money uh, to turn us away from the Lord and to motivate us to sin against the Lord. See, but it's not the trial of poverty per se that has brought that about. The trial of poverty has drawn out a whole host of gnarly desires within. Reading a book right now, it's a sad tragedy of, of a uh, murder in 1992 um, over off of Mugi Road in St. Charles uh, of a, a husband who 
had his wife killed. And um, it, 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 there's so much interplay in this story, but you see so much desire for money and for sex and hosts of greed percolating around. Uh, so how does a, a quote-unquote normal suburban middle-class family get there? Uh, they're not in the circumstance of poverty. Uh, and they're just common, ordinary, good, middle-class folk. Uh, what explains that? What explains that is the human condition, the heart of desire is a mess. Desires within can prompt you to develop strategies on how to kill your wife. That's not the circumstances that do that. The circumstances become the occasion that draws out what's already there. Or we can maybe, maybe, maybe relatively speaking, uh, wealth is our circumstance, our, our, our trial, if you would. Um, and uh, we can, if, if, if we find ourselves uh, with some relative measure of abundance, we can, stead, we can stand steadfast in that abundance, and we can honor the Lord even as we practice good stewardship and kind generosity of others. That's, that's standing firm in the circumstance of abundance. Or we can allow our love of stuff and the desire for even more stuff to rule our hearts uh, and, and, and through those desires for even more stuff uh, cause us to dishonor the Lord and to turn from the Lord and to sin against the Lord. You see, that's, that's what James is playing out here as he's built upon the two uh, express examples of trials, polar opposites of poverty and wealth. He encourages us here in verse 12 to uh, stand firm because part of, and it, is it plays it out with these two scenarios, the trial of poverty does not remove the possibility of happiness and joy. Huh? I know this is so un-American, uh, but you and I can be happy without an abundance of stuff. You and I can find joy uh, when we have profound physical lacking. Really? Yeah. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you encounter trials of various kinds, when you encounter the trial of lack. Uh, the, 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 of relative poverty. There are people on the face of this earth this very day who are living in absolute, not relative poverty, absolute poverty who have happiness in their heart. <laughs> what? And on the other hand, and this, we need to remind ourselves of, of this, the trial of wealth does not guarantee the certainty of happiness and joy. You can 
proverbially have it all, and yet your soul still be profoundly empty, sad. Do we need to be reminded of that? I mean, everything about, if we head home out of here and, and we, we flip on the TV uh, and we, we try to just enjoy the game this afternoon, uh, we're going to be hit with commercials and, and, and commercials are, and that's fine, it, it is what it is, but they're predicated on the, the notion of, you see this? This is why you ain't happy. You need one of these. Problem is you got one, but now it's, well, you need another one of these. And uh, it's a, an enslaving trap uh, that's appealing to our desire. So to remain steadfast, to endure our circumstances, whether they be the circumstance of poverty or the circumstance of wealth, uh, how, how do we experience happiness and joy? How do we count it all joy? How do we feel this thing called blessed is the man who remains steadfast. How do, how do we do that? All the which then we've got these external circumstances that are pressing in on us that are testing our faith, which remember Peter would tell us in chapter 1, verse 1 of, uh, 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 chapter 1 of 1 Peter, that these trials are designed to test the genuineness of our faith. If you have lack, then what James is encouraging you and I to do is to remain steadfast in seeking the Lord, to remain resolute that even though you ain't got this or that, you don't have this or that, I'm sorry, but um, I ain't got good English is what I ain't got, but... Uh, but um, so it's a lack, it's an impoverished mind, but... If you're on that end of the example of trial, um, then seek to remain steadfast by resolving to find one's happiness or joy in the Lord himself and not in the particulars of the trial or circumstance that is external to us, that we're in the midst of nonetheless. If our if our trial, our circumstance is abundance, it's the same principle. To be really blessed is not based upon the size of your bank account, but to be really blessed is based upon the steadfast focus to find delight and joy in the Lord himself. You see... James goes on and adds to that. So in the present situation, joy and happiness can be experienced whether we're on this end of the trial circumstance or that end of the trial circumstance spectrum. We can, we can have joy and delight. And, and then he gives a reason why in the midst of our present circumstances and trials, we can have delight and joy because he brings to bear an eternal matter before us in verse 12. For when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life which God has promised to those who love him. 
How do we face the present trials? How do we respond to the present trials? We do so by arming ourselves with eternal promises. He will receive the crown of life. We we are always needing to consider our present existence. Uh, 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 This very day needs to be considered in light of eternity. This week and the things that are in front of us, the things that we will face this week, while they they are imminently on our radar screen, they are presently in front of us, we have to look at what's presently immediately in front of us in light of what is eternally ahead of us. You see, without an eternal perspective of the promise of a crown of life, without an eternal perspective, which is, again, just another reference to this is about wisdom in the midst of trials, because wisdom is about a way of seeing so that we can see the present trial in light of another factor, and that is an eternal Promise. You see, without an eternal perspective, we won't grasp how to respond to trials. We, we won't take serious the need to endure through those trials, and we won't have a category for how to rejoice in those trials. But with an eternal perspective, that those are present trials and the need to remain steadfast in those present trials gets understood in light of an eternal promise, and that is there is a crown of life awaiting us that is to color, that is to, that is to influence, that is to shape how we respond to the trials at this present without an eternal perspective but with an eternal perspective we can grasp how to respond it makes sense i should remain steadfast in the midst of this trial i should remain steadfast because if i remain steadfast there is something of infinite value that's been promised to me in fact i I not only can endure or remain steadfast, but I can do so with a sense of joy and delight in my heart. Not that I particularly enjoy the trial itself, uh, but I find joy in the promises of God that these trials, going back to verses 2, 3, and 4, are producing something in me to develop my moral character at this moment. But now what verse 12 adds, not only are the trials producing something in me right now to develop moral character, but these trials, as I remain steadfast through them, there's offered to me a crown of delight. Or <laughs> the odd admonitions back to verses 11, 10, 10, 9, 10, and 11 that Carl dealt with last week, where he says in verse 9, let the lowly brother boast, boast in his and his exaltation. Wait a minute. How is it that if you're lowly, you have something to, to, to boast about? Um, uh, because in your, if you're lowly, your, your uh, testimony is, I don't have much. 
But what James is saying, oh, but the, 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 the final story hasn't been written yet. Yeah, you don't have much right now. But do you understand what's awaiting you? A crown of life. On the other hand, where he says to the rich fella um, in verse 10, and the rich in his humiliation. Because the temptation in our wealth or, or abundance is we could say, I have it all now. This is my best life now. To which James would say, would say huh? You ain't got a crown now. You're promised a crown as you remain steadfast. So I hope that this is a good life at present. I hope that's your circumstance. I want to tell you, no, no matter what your life is now, what James is trying to say is we, we interpret our life right now, not in light of right now, but in light of what's next. And what's next is a crown of life. So we could say, I, I have it all now. They say, uh-uh, I know one thing you ain't got now. You don't have a crown of life right now. But if you remain steadfast through this trial, then you are promised a crown of life. You see, this language here in verse 12 of remaining steadfast is wrapped up in the Bible's teaching about the need for those who profess to believe in Christ to ongoingly, continually persevere in demonstrating the validity of our confession by persevering in following Christ. See what he's saying? To the one who remains steadfast, there's a crown of life promised. You say, well, what if, what if I claim to know Jesus, but these trials have handcuffed me and they've derailed me and I don't remain steadfast in my faithfulness to the Lord because I've, I've allowed these circumstances to allure and entice me, draw, to, to appeal to my desires that, and that lead me to fall away from the Lord, then what's to come of that? I mean, back in the day, uh, in 1978, I professed to believe in Jesus, but, uh, but now I'm so wrapped up in my life and my present circumstances that I have no focus upon the Lord. That's why James is writing to us, because James does not want us to be the kind of people who used to name the name of Jesus and then got sidetracked by the stuff of life or the lack of stuff of life. No, he's saying whether you have a bunch of stuff or you have no stuff, the issue still comes down to how are you tracking and following and trusting in and believing in the Lord Jesus Christ? Are, do you have a faith in the Lord Jesus Christ that results in a continued love for the Lord Jesus Christ? Because that's what he says, a crown of life promised to those who love him. You see, the, as, if we try to track the scriptures, the scriptures tell us two things that at times feels polar opposites of each other. And the, one thing is the scriptures promise us that Jesus will get each one of his children safely home. 
but really what the scriptures also sober us up with is whether or not we truly belong to Jesus. Because he'll get every one of his children home. That's not the issue. It's not too hard for him. The issue is, am I a child of God in the first place? And one of the ways that we can examine that is, well, how are we tracking through our present circumstances? Whether it's this end of the circumstance experience or that end of the circumstance experience, either way, it's called trial of various kinds. How do we walk through trials to test the genuineness of our faith? And, and just because someone prayed a prayer or walked an aisle or joined a church uh, five years ago or six months ago or ten years ago or decades ago, the issue is always, do you still trust and follow in Jesus today? The admonition is that while Jesus gets each of his children safely home, he gets each of his children safely home by giving them sufficient grace so that every day we turn to Jesus and persevere in trusting him. So Jesus would promise us in John 6, for this is the will of the Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. If you're trusting in the Lord Jesus Christ this morning, then you can have an assurance that when you breathe your last breath, you will open your eyes and you will see the Lord Jesus Christ. He will get you home. He gets all home who trust in him. Not a one and done trust in him, but an ongoing, daily, renewed, reinvigorated by the grace of God, trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. And then Paul would say at the end of his life, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the, the faith. All right, maybe we need to preach that passage. I'm not sure. I have fought the fight, the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. And what does he say? There, therefore, uh, henceforth, there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness. the encouragement to remain steadfast in the circumstances of our lives by focusing upon the Lord to make sure that we guard our hearts and minds, and we'll talk more about this next week, how to guard our hearts and minds against that, those desires and temptations that would derail us from continually turning to the Lord and trusting in Him. Father, thank You for Your Word. Thank You for your, what Your Word says to us by way of encouragement and admonition. Father, particularly those of us who believe in Jesus, Father, may on this day we continue to believe in Jesus. For we know just as you always do, you give us enough mercy and grace this day to do so. And yet, Father, for those who are here who've never turned to Jesus, we pray that they would see their need for a Savior, that they would see in Jesus the one who lived a perfect life and died as a perfect sacrifice, 
and that by your grace you would give them a new heart that they would turn to, tr to Christ and trust only in him. And yet, Father, we would pray that they would understand that turning to Christ is not a one-time experience, but it is a counting of the costs to follow and trust in Jesus for the rest of our lives. So, Father, whether it's the first time we do this this morning or whether it's a renewed time this morning, may we be looking to the Lord Jesus Christ, and may we eagerly await what you have promised for those who love you. For we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand and sing this song together.